And I want to begin by just reading this key scripture in today's message. It's a very familiar verse. A lot of you have heard it. Some of you may even have a painting that reminds you of that verse up on your wall. But it goes like this. Word of the Lord, Revelation 3 and 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Very familiar scripture. um, And it's heartwarming. And I know that most of you have probably seen how this paint, this uh, scripture has been turned into a painting. There's several versions of it out there. And of all what to do, and they'll tell you, oh, gee, when my kids did that, I did this. And go, well, here, you take them and you fix them. You're going to get lots of advice when you guys have your baby. That's just how it goes. And some of it will be good and some of it will be like, eh, whatever. You don't even know what you're talking about because my child... I think he's from hell. But anyway, the, <laughs> there was a movie about that. But, you know, you're this parent having this moment with your child, wherever it is. And I remember doing that to my mom. I loved the toy section of the stores. And uh, I would run over there and just want something so bad and cry and scream. I remember that. And uh, it would just frustrate my mom. Kids, we love them. We keep them safe. We take care of them. And I think episodes like that in our lives just teach us there's no way to 100% control them. Not really. We can keep them safe. We can help them. We can do things with them and for them. But we cannot 100% control them. It's a surprising situation. Shows, shows up as soon as they're born. They cry when they shouldn't be crying, Right? They're hungry when they should not be hurting. Everybody knows nobody should be hungry at 2.30 in the morning. That's not godly. And you can tell you're not even of God yet, child. But it's a fact of life. Because here's the thing. Each of us has our own personality. And each of us has been given this ability, this, I want to say, right. I'm not going to call it that exactly. But we've given this ability to choose our path. And sometimes our children, they just turn out great, and sometimes not so great. From the same home. You can have a child that you you invested in both, you treated them both lovingly, and one just goes and does amazing things, and the other one, you can't even find them. I haven't spoken to you. I was hearing something recently about a, a mom and a daughter that hadn't spoken for 40 years. Just agony, agony that they were going through. But we love them. And we hang in there with them. We don't give up. We try not to. That is, if we're good parents. And we just love them. I heard this actor interviewed on a CBS Sunday morning. Uh, I got a glimpse of it as I was leaving. He's, he's 80 years old now, James Brolin. Okay? And he's got a son that's in the acting business. Also, his name is Josh. And the, the reporter was saying, you've got to be so proud to see the success in film that your son has had. And he said this. He said, well, it's great. But even if he didn't have the success... It would be the same with me. And that kind of touched me. That's a loving father responding. As parents, we love them. We pour a lot into them. And we love them first before they love us. We love them. And we give to them first before they give back to us. And we keep loving and giving and watching over them really all their lives. It never really stops, right, Dee? Not really. I mean, it changes. 
But you, all of your life, you're going to have this desire to bless them. Bless. And that's what we're talking about in this series, blessings. As good parents, we're going to do everything imaginable to help them find the right path, to help them find the blessings. Everything you've got, everything that God has done for you, you try to transmit it to that child. You try to talk to them about the lessons you've learned. You show them how great God is. But here's the deal. It's going to be their choice as to whether they follow their lives toward the blessings of God. It's their choice. And I struggle with that sometimes. Why should they have the choice? But it's a God-given choice. And we've come to call it free will. Everybody's born with this ability to think freely. And theologians couch it in something we call preeminent grace, which means God provided grace for our salvation ahead of time. Okay, It's there before us, but it's up to us to choose it. That's a mystery to me, but I know it's true. It's a simple view of it, the way I just explained it, but it leaves us with this idea of free will. And in your notes, if you want to take them today, free will is very powerful and it's very seductive. It is a big deal in our lives. And you and I have it from the moment that we can have any kind of intention whatsoever, whatever age that is. Everything we do going forward from the day we discover that we have a will is really a negotiation. Can I get more of something? Can I get more of a cookie? Can I get more of this? All the way through adult life to can I get more riches? Can I get more wealth? Can I have more sleep? Can I have more time? We're thinking of these things because free will has a lot to do with protecting us from what we think is a challenge to us. And all the resources of a sin-crowded world are going to try to influence our children and all of our choices, and that's just the way it is. And Jesus, even Jesus, lamented over this. Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Can you read this with me? And you were not willing. Such a juxtaposition between God and the creation. And God saying to the creation, you weren't willing to take what I offered you. How I longed to gather you, hold you, hug you, bless you, pour out blessing upon you, and you were not willing. It's that free will thing. And it's a battle we all fight. It's because God gave us a mind. He gave us a mind that thinks and rationalizes, and the mind is a challenging battleground, guys. It just is. There's a whole sermon series there, perhaps. But the mind, as I call it, I call it a secret place of us that tries to put together everything we see and sense and imagine so that all the things we see and sense and imagine benefit us. That's the mind. And then we plan accordingly for that, the mind. Has your mind ever played tricks on you? I mean, when you weren't drug-induced or something like that, just have your mind ever played tricks on you? Yeah, I'm getting some confessions. People going, yeah, well, there are times. But it will do that. You'll, you'll have a different thing. Emotions play tricks on us. It's a lot to juggle. And while we're juggling with our mind, and while we're trying to make a good decision, and while we're trying to negotiate everything in life so that it benefits us, 
God is lovingly waiting the entire time. That's what the Scripture shows us. And as I was digging through Scripture this this week, that's what was kept coming up to me, this God who in all His sovereignty, and it really took me to my knees because I am a God follower. I love God, and by His grace and mercy I stand before you today. But I thought about how holy and righteous He is, and I thought about the audacity we have to not choose Him. It just hit me hard this week. There are tons and things, tons of things that our minds have to deal with, you know, like Mike, Mike, okay, it's back. Something happened. You did something. You spilled something again, Bray? Okay, whatever. But uh, emotions talk about tricky, right? I mean, you ever wake up and just feel like you don't have it all together emotionally? You were great yesterday, and today you're like a lunatic. I just don't feel the same. I just, emotions, they're tricky. And pressures, work, finance, all that. It's real relationships, marriages, loving someone, loving everybody, getting along, how we see ourselves. Tons and tons of things that our minds process. And in all those areas of life, we are given a choice about whether or not we let God help us. And of course, there's Satan who feeds lies. He's the enemy of our soul. He's the enemy of our, of our mind. And he will do all he can to destroy any good decision possible that we ever thought about making. That's what Satan does. It's all a lie. It's a hoax. It's smoke and mirrors. But he's really good at it. And that makes free will and free thought tough issues. All because of the way the mind works. And this beautiful image in Revelation 3 and 20 is there for us. At the end of the Bible packaged up toward the end of Scripture, written by the last disciple to live, the only one of the disciples that actually died a natural death. They tried to kill him a couple of times. Didn't work. He went to prison, but he ended his life as a pastor or a bishop, perhaps, in church of Ephesus. And God gave him these special visions about the end of time, the end of the age. And we don't understand Revelation. Anyone that tells you they do, they don't. It's a tough book. It's just there for us, and we try to dig into it. And Sometimes you think you see something, and sometimes you don't. But you do get the tone that there's a warning about the end of time. And in the midst of this warning, and in the midst of this wrapping up of all things spiritual, is this beautiful image of Jesus knocking. Knocking. It's powerful to me. And these, this image of, of, of Jesus knocking is so beautiful and so precious. And many of us open our lives to him. We do. And many people don't. And then some people open the door to him, but it's almost like it's a visit. They'll let him come and visit for a while, and then they kind of hope that he leaves. So they'll let him in, and then they'll try to see him out. You know, I had an old friend of mine, old men have all these ways of saying things, and I'm starting to do that in my life, my children tell me, but, you know, you have some kind of saying for things, and he would say, well, hon, if someone's over and they're not, they're staying kind of longer than they should, he would say, hon, let's go to bed so these good people can go home. And you go, oh, I'm sorry, is it past your bed? Oh, no, I was just waiting on you to leave. It's like Jesus is a visitor to some people. He's intriguing. He's interesting. But he's a God and he's meant to be served. 
He's great and he's filled with blessing. All the blessings of the parents. Now, not in every case, but most of us would say, not in every case, but most of us say when it comes to our parents, if we followed some of the paths that our parents set up for us, life could have gone easier. I know that for many, many friends. I know that. And there's God ready to come in and join us. But it's a struggle. So here's the deal. We need help. We need help with free will. We need help. When you study the Bible, you see that that is clear, that throughout the ages, men just don't get it right. They struggle with it. And it's been a challenge for this guy named Jacob we've been learning from during this short series that we've been in. He is sometimes like that child screaming in a store, I think, to God. And God is trying just to get him to get his life in the right place to worship him and continue to bless him so that he can pass a blessing on that he's been given. And what fascinates me about Jacob is his life is not what I would expect. Jacob was chosen by God to pass on the blessing of being the chosen, original chosen people of God. And you would expect someone that is chosen by God to be more cooperative. But it's interesting. I mean, he's one of the originals. He's an OG God person, right? And you would expect him to sort of have it all together. And guys, this blessing that he received from his father, who, and that blessing came from his father, Abraham, is absolutely phenomenal. Read Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, not just some guy on the street, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I'm going to show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. Now get this. He says, I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. We saying God's name is great. Your name is great. That's what scripture says. But God said, I'm going to make your name great. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's cool. That's big. That's, that's huge. That's an inheritance. That's a thing that just causes my spiritual eyes to cry when I imagine if God said something like that to me, I'm sure I would get it wrong. True, for sure. But for at least a season, I would be pretty happy about that. That God says, I want to pass on through you, Abraham, through you, Isaac, through you, Jacob, and your children and their children, I'm going to pass on this blessing that ultimately we're going to call salvation. And it's going to lead all the way to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? This blessing went on through Isaac and and Jacob. It was chosen to carry forward. And like I said, it's been passed on through all the lineage of Christ, and it ends up in our laps. Galatians chapter 3, verse 9 even says it this way. All who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Stunning. Okay, so that blessing is on my life. That blessing to carry something forward. And this series is about finding blessing. And the challenge of this series is about receiving the blessing and passing it on. And when I talk about the blessing... I'm not talking about something that Oprah said. 
I'm talking about the Jesus blessing, the blessing of Scripture. It's a deeply magnificent, significant plan of God to save the world from sin. And it's so wonderful. And we've been looking back in the series to this time where God was using these human beings to get this ball rolling. Okay? That's what it was about, this salvation ball. God going to change the earth through people who would carry the name of the blessing forward. And so the first blessing that you ever received, my friends, the greatest blessing, if you know Christ, is this blessing of Abraham. It's absolutely wonderful. And and the blessing is for you, and it's for your family, and and it's for their children. As the song we sang a few weeks ago, their children's children. And we need to believe that. It's for us. And all that comes with it is amazing. It's, it's a membership that God gives you. It's a terrible way to put it, but it's like God gives you just access to this scripture. We were, we were looking for a while at joining a health club near us. What a, what a funny thing to say. But anyway, we were thinking we'd do it, you know, and so we went to that big, beautiful Lifetime Fitness Center by the mall. Anybody ever seen that? Well, it's, wow, that's amazing. You walk in and suddenly you see these people with beautiful muscles and great bods and, you know, they're either going swimming or they're playing tennis and, you, you know, you're racquetball and you just, whoa, that could be me. That is cool. And you talk about it and you discuss all the stuff. You can come anytime you want. You can swim. You can get a sauna. Get, I mean, they do facials for women and all kinds of amazing things. And, okay, so how much does this cost? How many is in your family? Well, three. Like 450 bucks a month. Oh, oh, well, isn't that nice? Well, kids, let's just go get us a bike and see what we can do with that. But I had this amazing thing, you know, for a while, fantasizing about having a membership here and walking in and having all these things I can do. Well, that's what the Bible is. Way greater. It's a membership. It's like, turn the page of the Bible, and there's a thing for you. It's amazing. And so many turn their backs on that. And so many times we forget it. And that's what's going on at the end of the Bible in what's called the seven letters or the letters to the seven churches of Asia. Jesus is knocking on the doors of these churches, essentially saying, you've forgotten some things. So I want to remind you, it's the end of days. I'm out here knocking on a door. But that's how it goes. That's how it goes. And, And it's amazed me, as I've already said, how you realize that the people God chooses to use in Scripture and even in real life are often so very dysfunctional. It's a little scary. It's also encouraging. It gives me a lot of hope. But it surprises me when I study. And like I said, it's a little bit of comfort because Jacob's family is very dysfunctional. Jacob, you know, is a thief. He's always trying to get something that doesn't belong to him. He's conniving. He, he wants to manipulate through his mind, get everything that he can imagine to line up just right for him. And he just struggles to get it right. So he, even when God says, go back and make amends with your brother, he goes back and makes amends with your brothers and go and see your father. He doesn't go and see his dad. All the stuff that you can, you can listen to, the sermon series if you want to, and see that beautiful story. In all those situations, he never does exactly 100% what God tells him to do. And his kids are something else. I mean, in Genesis uh, 34, we see when there was this terrible situation in the family, two of the boys go out and murder everybody they can see and steal everything they can. Just horrible. 
And then on the way back to Bethel in the story, when God finally says, I want you to go back home. I'm going to save you. This is going to be amazing. One of the brothers, sons, sleeps with somebody he shouldn't be sleeping with. And I just look at that and I go, it's just stunning. And God continued to whisper and maybe yell in his ear, there's a blessing in you. I'm going to use you. And God's not using Jacob and his family or anybody else in the Bible just because they're talented, but simply because God has a plan and a promise and an amazing ability to keep a promise. And God kept reminding Jacob of that promise throughout the story. It's amazing to me. In Genesis 35, we read uh, last week, the family's packing up. They're going back home. Uh, God had finally, I think, demanded that Jacob do that. I want you to be obedient. I want you to get back to this place where you and I first connected in this deeply spiritual way. I want you to go back home. I want you to connect to your dad. And it's just an amazing time of revival for these people. It's just a beautiful, beautiful story. Pack up the donkeys and go south and get your lives right. This movement is, is a revival for this family. And I know it's a healing moment as they return home. It's really amazing. And Genesis 35 says to us that God appeared again to Jacob and reminded him of the name change. He had changed his name to Israel, saying from now on, you're not someone that's just trying to grab things. You are a partner with God. God called him Israel. God changed his name, God blessed him, and God reminded him that this promise is flowing through his veins. It's crazy to me. In Genesis 35, verse 27, it says, Finally, Jacob made it back home to his father Isaac, where Abram and Isaac had lived. Isaac is now 180 years old, and Isaac breathed his last and died an old man full of years, and he was buried with his family. Now this is crazy. Isaac is gone, and the promise now lies in the hands of this guy, Jacob, sometimes called Israel. And he's very ordinary, guys. You study it up one way and down the other, and you see the ordinariness of this man in whose life this blessing that you and I share today is contained. And so that reveals to me, as I said, that God is fiercely committed. And God is committed to always make the invitation first. God is committed to always make sure we understand what's available to us. This God of heaven and earth with the power of life and death in his hands doesn't demand. He just tries to tell us. So we're not amazingly impressed by Jacob, even though I relate to him. He's far from being a perfect example. But guys, I want you to understand something when you study the Scripture. That's how it should be. Because the story of the blessing, story in the Bible, is not designed to make us look good. It's not. The Scripture is not designed to present to you heroes. Sometimes we make heroes out of them, and there's a certain part of that that I think is interesting and fine. But often we see that the Bible characters and even modern-day Christians, leaders sometimes, are not the best examples of Christ. It causes us to scratch our heads a bit. And Jesus warned us to be very careful when we judge others. He told us that. It's a tricky thing. 
But guys, the story of the Bible is not designed to make you look good. In fact, it's designed to show you the depravity of humankind. That's a tough lesson to imagine how badly we need God. And that's what the story is about. The story is designed to show you how great God is. And the story of the blessing is designed to let us know that God is the only Savior. It's not you, it's not me, it's not Jacob, it's not Isaac, it's not Abram, how cool Abram was. It's not him. It's nobody's free will. God is the only hero of the Bible. And when I say God, of course I mean Jesus, who's the ultimate star of the Scriptures. So I'll let you know that free will is never going to be the answer. You cannot will yourself to believe. You cannot make yourself believe you need help. Romans chapter 5, verse 19 says, For as by the one man's disobedience, speaking of Adam, many were made sinners. By one man's disobedience, disobedience, the many will be made righteous. There's an answer for all of it. This is because of the nature of God through Jesus, what He is and who He is. Jesus is the perfect one. He's the flawless one. He's the hero. And He's the one that's knocking, being the loving, devoted, caring parent. And that's what God is faithful to. That's the seed that God is planting in Jacob. Not Jacob's perfection, but the image of Christ. But such an amazing, amazing way that He did it. So He's not... He's the hero. I'm never going to be the hero. It's always going to be Jesus. It never was intended to be me. And it's not about my will. It is about me responding. That's what's important. Revelation 3 and 20 again. He says, here I am. King James Version says, behold. Whenever you see behold, it means, hey, take a look. Behold. Hey. Hey. See something here. I'm standing at a door and I'm knocking. If anyone will hear my voice and just open the door, I'll come in and I'll eat or I'll have a relationship with this person and they will have a relationship with me. This is, this is where we need to focus if we're going to find the blessings of God. It begins by making a choice to follow Christ's will, not mine. So here's the note. Finding blessing means making a choice to accept the invitation. We learn from Jacob, we don't want to follow him. He's just a guy trying to answer the same invitation. So when Jesus says he's knocking at your door, it's not because he wants to steal your stuff or bother you or steal your life or get in the way. He wants to engage you so he can walk you through The journey that leads to blessing. It's that way because He's the only one who can do it. God Almighty, with all His blessings and goodness, stands on the outsides of the hearts of humankind and asks for an invitation to bless. Imagine that. Just like He did with Jacob. And we can't leave the story with Jacob because there's so much more. You don't have to be like Jacob. You don't have to be like David or any other Bible character that you study. You can have Christ in your heart. That's what it is when we accept Him. He comes in our hearts. And He comes in our hearts so that it will be this intimate, 
following. He wants to not just greet you and say, boom, you're saved. He wants to come in and live in your heart. Wow. And get this, if Christ, who is the Savior of the world, knocks on the door of your heart, and you say yes to that, as so many of you have, your life will find blessing. So the good news simply is this. God sent Jesus to make the invitation actually work for us. This invitation to open the door to Jesus is the answer for the free will problem of man. Every time I'm challenged with my free will, the answer is the same. Will I respond to the knock? Every time I struggle with free will, and I do, you do, every time I'm tempted to not go a certain way, the answer is always the same. There's the knock of Jesus on my life. Here's what's behind all about that. Every day you live and follow His Word, you are simply responding to the invitation. It's no longer just about your will. It's about your relationship, and that's how it works. From the inside out, it works to heal your mind and all your pressures and relationships and the lies of the devil. I have a beautiful privilege of living with my wife and son. Okay, And I can say that I know Beth really well, having lived with her. And she could say the same about me. And I can tell you what I've learned about her, especially compared to what I thought I knew about her, has surprised me on a number of fronts. You're waiting for the jokes to drop. But I'm going to tell you, she's more beautiful than I imagined. More amazing. Deeper. My son is sweet and good. He can be ornery, but he's got a good heart. I wouldn't know that if I didn't live with him every day. Because every day in the context of relationship, there is the eating and the living and the watching and the feeling, and then comes the influence. I'm better because Beth lives in my life. I'm better because this guy lives in my life. He makes me a better person. Don't let that go to your head. I'm just saying. It's a thing. And one day, hopefully, you'll say that about me. But anyway, he said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, now this is a bombshell, and you've got to believe that it is. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you're in Christ, when you're living in Christ, you're being transformed. You're being mutated from the inside out. And what is new about it is that the heart becomes occupied by Christ. And if Christ is in your heart, He's going to influence your mind. I can't get dressed we were talking about this this morning in Bible study, but I can't get dressed every day without thinking about what Beth is going to think about it. And I'll pick a shirt and I'll say, uh, she is not going to like that. I'll put it back. I'll grab another shirt that has got a spot on it. I'd wear it anyway. 
But she will not put up with that. Then I'll grab another shirt that I heard her say she really likes on me, and I put that one on. She has changed my mind about how I dress. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's a very simple human way of saying that I've been transformed into her husband because she occupies my heart. Something that's in your heart will influence your decisions. And sometimes we just need to be reminded that Jesus is there. That was the case with the church Laodicea that had become lukewarm. That's what Scripture says. Just kind of wealthy, kind of put together really good, but just not excited. Maybe didn't try so hard. And even Jesus was knocking on the door of that church and saying, Hey, Ezekiel chapter 36 says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone, which is free will, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh that can be moved. It's amazing. Romans 12 says this, and God would not say this to us if it wasn't possible. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is spiritual mutation awaiting for all who will say yes to Christ and keep saying yes. Let him move in and let him stay there. Galatians 2 and 20, Paul said, this relationship is so intense, it's like it has slain me. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified by my love for Beth. The old me doesn't live anymore. There's a new me that's in this loving relationship that wants to please her. That's a change of will. That's a change of mind. And he's saying, Christ moving into my my life is is so life changing that it's like I have died and come back to life. I was executed and brought back to life. Man, that's amazing. That's amazing. So what face-to-face meetings with God in the Old Testament couldn't do, Christ moving into our hearts does. That's amazing. And as John is writing to these seven churches of Asia at the end of the story, I encourage you to go back and read those. And I know there's, you can get confused when you read those things, but if you will read through carefully, you will see they were all struggling with will. And so Jesus was saying, let me come back in and help you. And some people see this scripture of Jesus uh, as a very gentle tapping on the door. And I think it's that. But I also think it's true that perhaps sometimes Jesus is pounding on the door of our lives. Saying, let me take charge. Just before Revelation 3.20 is Revelation 3.19, which I think gives us a big hint about really the tone of Jesus standing on the porch. He said this, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. 
So be earnest and repent. Another word for earnest is passion. So I would say to you this morning, people of God, don't let that passion that maybe you once had for Jesus cause Jesus to, in your mind at least, sort of leave the room. Stay at the meal. It's so important. This section of the book of Revelation sounds rough, but it's written that way because there's so much at stake. Here's what's at stake. Your salvation. He's taking care of that with his life on the cross, but what about the lives of all the people around you who are seeing you as the example? That's where we need the help. Christ is never going to approach us without grace. We would never be able to stand in his presence without grace. So this message this morning is not about a lack of grace. It's all about grace. But it's about a Jesus crying out to all of us to let him in and let him stay. And the reason he says it that way is because that's the only thing that will work. What's in your heart? I love it. So it's an invitation to believers as well as non-believers. And he's saying to all of us, Hey, I'm standing at the doorway. I'm knocking on a door. I'm asking for your attention. I'm giving you an invitation. I want to come into your life, take off my shoes, and live there. And I know that can seem like a challenge for all of us. But this is about grace, guys. So the answer for free will is to let grace move into our hearts. If you are not talking to Jesus on a daily basis, if you are not discussing all the challenges of your mind and your will, if you are not visiting with Jesus about everything that's going on in your life, you're missing something really wonderful. We call it prayer, and prayer sounds so holy and so difficult, but really... It's a conversation. And so I want to challenge you, church. Keep those conversations with Christ often. Keep that dialogue going. He wants to live in your heart in a way that changes you. Would you bow your heads with me? I thank you, God, that this invitation that you extended in the old way is really the same invitation that we have today. It's an invitation to accept a blessing. And so, Jesus, I pray for the one who has not let Jesus come into their hearts in the first place. I pray for them especially. They're watching this morning on Facebook Live or even in this room. Come into my heart, Jesus. And come, Jesus, not for a visit.